Okay, to kick things off, I want you to imagine a family member or a friend that you haven't seen for a while, which let's be honest, is pretty much everyone right now. So it should be pretty easy to think of someone. If you've got a person in mind, if there is someone that you're visualizing right now, what's the first thing that springs to mind when you think of them? Now, just by way of an aside, if it's something positive, why not send them a quick message telling them what you appreciate about them? But a word of advice, if it's something negative, might be best to keep it to yourself. Better still, why not pray for God to bless them regardless? Now, here's the point. If you remember from last time, we saw, didn't we, how when Paul thought of the Thessalonian church, when he visualised them, he could only think of positives. In fact, if you recall, I set you a bit of a challenge, didn't I, to read the whole letter, and as you read it, tot up how many reasons for thankfulness you could find. And in case you're curious, I can reveal that the winner was Russ Lohman, who spotted a pretty impressive 30 reasons why Paul was thankful for the Thessalonians. Now, although I was tempted to look at each of those 30 reasons this morning, I'm going to be self-controlled and limit myself to the first three on the list. They're found in chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul writes, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's enduring memory of the Thessalonians was of their work, labour, and endurance, all of which grow out of their faith, love, and hope. Now, this trifecta of faith, love, and hope actually crops up all over Paul's writings. For example, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And in his letter to the Colossians, in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, he describes how we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So this coming together of faith, love and hope is pretty commonplace in the writings of Paul. But here among Thessalonians, he does something ingenious. He connects each of these words with another word. Faith with work, love with labour and hope with endurance. And really, all I want to do with the time I've got available to me today is simply look at each of those three pairings because I think they are incredibly instructive and also have the potential to transform the way we view most of what we do in our life. So here we go. First up is work produced by faith. Now just so you know, there are actually three different kinds of work that Paul refers to 
in his writings. At a very basic level, there's the work that is your job, what you do for a living. For example, in chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. More specifically, he worked as a tent maker to pay his own way so as not to be a drain on the church. So for Paul, your occupation, how you make a living, is front and centre in your discipleship to Jesus. The second kind of work that Paul often refers to is what could be termed gospel work. For example, in chapter 5, verse 12, he writes, Dear brothers and sisters, honour those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. So here, Paul's referring to the work of someone in church leadership. Elsewhere, he mentions that the work of the gospel includes things like preaching and making disciples and really any kind of serving in the church, whether you get paid for it or not. So that's gospel work. And then the third kind of work that Paul often refers to is good works, stuff like generosity towards the poor or hospitality to refugees or speaking up for the oppressed. Now, whether it's good works, gospel work, or simply the work we do for a living, all three kinds of work are crucially important. Because if you know the story of the Bible, you'll know that God's end game isn't merely souls into heaven when we die. No, it's heaven on earth. It's every soul, every city, every culture, every mountain, every ocean, all flourishing under Jesus' rule. Yeah, he undoubtedly wants every human being to come into relationship with him. That's not in question. But he also wants a court system that's just, a medical community that takes good care of the sick, an artistic community that confronts and challenges and makes the world a more beautiful place. He wants architects and builders and plumbers and electricians to create environments for image bearers to grow up in and thrive and flourish. He wants supermarket workers and restaurant owners to provide food so we can stay healthy and nourished. He wants educators to educate, business people to do business, journalists to inform. All work that makes the world a better place. All work that makes the world more in line with what God had in mind at the very beginning. All of it matters to God. And so, your occupation, whether it's a stay-at-home parent or a pupil or a student or a paid job, or the work you do for the gospel, whether it's serving in the church or volunteering with another organisation working for justice or to provide in some way for those in need, it all matters to God. All work matters. And according to Paul here, all work must be a byproduct of faith. That there's this seamless connection 
between our work, whether we get paid for it or not, and our face. Now at this point, I must just stress that our work doesn't save us, and our work doesn't keep us saved either. Being a Christian is not dependent on you doing something in the past, the present, or the future. Our work is not what makes us a Christian. Ephesians 2, really clear on this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and even this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So just to underline, our work is not the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It is all down to the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. It is by grace that we're saved. But then, straight after that verse in Ephesians 2, Paul then goes on to add, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, works don't save you, but works are things that saved people do. Martin Luther puts it like this, we're saved by grace alone, but not by grace that remains alone. Dallas Willard says, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. So, grace doesn't say, do not work. It says, do not work to earn God's favour. Now, I don't know what you think, but I find it pretty revealing that the Bible speaks about good works and dead works. It's like, it's possible to do the exact same thing, but depending on your motivation, it can either be a good work or a dead work. And I suggest that is where the connection between work and faith really kicks in. The key in all of this is for our work to be fueled by faith. Let me just throw out a few examples to try to help you see what this looks like in practice. Let's say then that you are a community group leader and you're very busy, but someone in your group is struggling and they reach out to you and want a conversation to chat about the things they're struggling with. Now you can say yes out of a sense of duty. It's like you kind of feel a bit obligated. You feel like you must because you are their group leader. But inwardly, you're resenting it. That's a dead work. It's not fueled by faith. Work fueled by faith says, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to drop something to fit this in. And if truth be told, I'm pretty tired. But Jesus, I know that making the sacrifice to spend time with this person, it pleases you. And I believe that even me at my lowest, when empowered by you, could bring some encouragement to this person. And I believe that when I obey you, you will repay me in some way. You'll give me precisely what I need. Well, how about making an effort with a work colleague? Well, why are you doing that? Well, I've got to be civil because I'm a Christian and it's kind of expected that I should be a good person. That sounds pretty dead to me. 
a faith-filled answer would be something like this. Lord, I believe that I'm called to love you and love my neighbour. I also believe that you can save them. So I'm doing this because I love you. And because I love you, I love my neighbour. And I'm believing that you can in some way use my actions to help draw them to you at some point in the future. I'll take parenting. In my experience, it's way easier to parent by fear than by faith. Fear of what people will think of us or fear that they could go off the rails or fear of getting it wrong. But what does it look like to parent in faith? A bit like this. Lord, I know I'm their earthly father, but even more importantly, you are their heavenly father. And I know I'm committed to them, but there's nothing in my commitment that is like your commitment to them. That's way greater. Uh, And I'm in all of this in faith that you're at work in them. Uh, I'm doing all I can, but ultimately I'm entrusting them to you. Father, where I feel powerless right now, I'm believing in your power. Ultimately, I know you've got them. You see the difference? There's good work and there's dead work. And we're called to good work that is produced by faith. But this kind of work isn't always easy. I think we can probably all agree on that. Which is perhaps why Paul then goes on to speak of your labour that is prompted by love. Labour is kind of when work is hard, when it's difficult, when it's not particularly enjoyable. Let's be honest, no matter how much you love your work, there is a point, isn't there, where all work at some point becomes labour. And that's when, more than ever, you need to connect your work with love. Paul speaks then of labour prompted or driven or motivated by love. Now let's face it, In reality, we have all kinds of motivations for work, don't we? Some people it's money or self-worth or identity or validation or the applause of others. I think for a lot of people, it can simply end up being a duty. We, We have a responsibility and we just kind of get our head down and do it because we know we have to. Now, all of those motivations for work eventually come up short. When work becomes labour, none of that stuff provides the energy we need to keep going. And the end result is burnout, fatigue, disillusionment, frustration. It's like none of them give us the motivation we need when work is tough. So we need a better motivation. And ultimately, the greatest possible motivation for all work is love. Obviously, Love for God, you you want to join God in his work of renewal of all things. But also love for the world, you want the world to become a better place. Also love for people, love for our neighbour, love for those around us. And hopefully love for your work itself. You in some way love what you actually do. Now by love, I should explain, I'm not talking simply about having nice feelings towards God or the world, or people, or your job. And if you don't feel the love, then you can't do it. No. Our emotions are important 
but they're designed to travel with us in the passenger seat. They're, they're not designed to be in the driver's seat. So our labour isn't to be fueled merely by feelings of love. However, love must be the motive. Which sounds nice, but what does that actually mean? Well, one verse that over the years has helped me a lot with this is John 13, verse 34, where if you remember, Jesus famous, famously commands us to love one another as I have loved you. It's like, if I'm struggling in my work, I'm struggling to love someone or love something, the answer isn't simply gritting my teeth, trying to muster the inner willpower to love them more. It's love one another, how? As Jesus has loved me. So take a breath, step back, drink in not how annoying they are or how frustrating this situation is, but how Jesus has loved me selflessly, sacrificially, completely. Jesus, you gave your life for me. You've accepted me. You, you, you stir yourself with the gospel of grace. You get filled up over here and then you'll find that your labour of love is empowered by the love of God. Incidentally, it's one of the reasons why we meet together. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we pray. It is to stop. It's to pause for long enough to drink in weekly and daily, even for a few minutes, so we get fueled by the love of God. Because really, love is the only motivation that will keep you going when work becomes labour. Listen. When it's not fun anymore, when it's not easy, when it's difficult, what will keep you going isn't I do this for the money or for applause or for my identity or to try to prove myself or out of duty or whatever. No, because I do this out of love, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the sake of others. Now, great in theory, but my guess is a lot of you are hearing this and still aren't completely convinced. Like, yeah, it sounds pretty impressive, but it's the right thing to do, I know, but love alone isn't enough. Which is where the last line comes in. Paul adds, we need endurance inspired by hope. When work becomes labour, which drags on for month after month and year after year, that's when you need endurance. You need steadfastness. You need patience. This is a dogged, unflinching, I will not give up kind of mindset. And it's inspired by hope. Ultimately, to keep going in the face of difficulty, setback, disappointment, months, even years of waiting, lack of progress, a global pandemic that's entering a second year. All of that takes the hope of a better future ahead. But to hope, 
requires endurance. It's like these two concepts, hope and endurance, they go together. Each needs the other. Now, just to say, by hope, Paul doesn't simply mean blind optimism. It's not this kind of vague, directionless feeling. No, for Paul, hope has an object. And we see it right here in verse 3, don't we, where he speaks of your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The object of Paul's hope and ours is Jesus. Now, to flesh this out a bit, when you read the New Testament, you get to see that hope is like this shorthand summary of all that we look forward to in the future when Jesus the King returns to put the world right, undoing every wrong, banishing all evil, wiping every tear from our eye. On that day, even death itself will die and he will bring to birth a renewed earth where he will rule and reign with us over all things for all eternity. And it's this hope that equips us to keep enduring week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. We know where all of this is going. And so whatever setback you face today, there's hope because you know the end of the story. So... Paul puts faith, love and hope side by side with work, labour and endurance. There's this wonderful coming together of earthy, gritty, mundane, everyday life with the spiritual. It's like Paul wants our faith to move from something we, we kind of know in our heads and celebrate for an hour or so on Sundays to something that deeply impacts and shapes what we do in the nitty-gritty of daily life when it's slow and there's pain and it's frustrating and it's disappointing and it feels like we're just about clinging on. And so... To close, let me just lob out a few questions to help you think this through. First of all, is your work directly shaped by your faith? Or is there some kind of disconnect between your job, your occupation, how you spend your time, your effort, your energy, and your faith in Jesus and your hope? Second, is your labour motivated by love or by something else? What is it that really drives you? Is it the need to prove yourself or keep people happy? Is it money? What is it that drives you? And finally, is your endurance in need of hope or your hope in need of endurance? I pray that God would encourage you if you're in that place right now where you're tired of waiting, where you're finding it hard to stay motivated, where hopelessness is setting in. I pray that faith, love and hope would pulsate through you, providing the energy, the motivation, the perspective you need to keep working, keep labouring and keep enduring.